0: Sarah was a 14-year-old girl who had just moved to a new town and to a new school. Uh, You remember freshman year, right? You remember how difficult it is to be a freshman anyways. But to be a freshman in a new city, uh, at a new school where you have no friends, is even more difficult. And that's why Sarah was so excited on the first day of school, on that very first Monday, when she met a group of friends who brought her in. They liked the same things, they included her. They were easy to talk with and get along. And she was loving her new school. Whole first week, she would spend talking with them in the halls, passing notes. Uh, if kids still do that these days, uh, maybe it's just all texting between classes. Uh, but, anyways, uh, she spent all her time during the school day talking to these people when she wasn't in class. Friday at lunchtime, her new group of friends said, uh, hey, Sarah, we're, we're all going to hang out after school today. Uh, meet us in the, in the back of school." So she said, okay. Final bell rang. Sarah made her way out to uh, the back of the school. And as she turned the corner, she smelled it. Her new group of friends was smoking weed. And as she turned the corner, one of them handed her a joint and said, Here you go. here, Sarah. And now Sarah had a decision to make. She knew it was against the law, which meant it's against God's will. And so does she stand firm on God's word and His will? Or does she do what her friends want? If she doesn't, she risks losing her new group of friends. What was she going to do? The pressure was on. It doesn't matter who we are. It doesn't matter if you're in fifth grade or if you're retired. We've all faced peer pressure and we still face peer pressure today. Because it's one of Satan's most favorite lures to use. is to have people pressure us into sinning. And it's nothing new. We see this all the way back in 1500 B.C. in Exodus chapter 32. And that's what we're going to look at today. Exodus chapter 32, beginning with verse 1. But before we jump in, I want, to, I want to give you background. The book of Genesis ends with the Jewish people moving from the Middle East, the land of Canaan, over to Egypt because there was a severe drought, severe famine in the land. And so they moved there because Egypt had all of this grain, all of this food, uh, and Joseph who was from Jacob's family line was second in command there. So he brought his family over and they they lived there. That's the end of Genesis, the book of Genesis. About 400 years happened between the end of Genesis and Exodus chapter 1. From 1900 to 1500 BC, the Egyptians turned on the Jewish people and enslaved them. Treated them poorly... And they cried out to God constantly, Deliver us, deliver us, deliver us. And so God finally did. In the book of Exodus, we hear of God sending Moses to lead the people out of their slavery. And God did many miracles to get this to happen. He, he did ten plagues. I'm sure you've heard of those in, in the, the Old Testament. He did ten plagues. He parted the Red Sea so that they could go across dry ground. Uh, and then he closed up the Red Sea on Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and his army. And then, God said, you know what, my people aren't ready for war yet, let's bring them south. And so here's a map for you real quick. So they came out of Egypt, and they crossed the Red Sea, and then God brings them down to Mount Sinai, which is down here on the Sinai Peninsula, before heading up into the land of Canaan. Down here on on Mount Sinai, God appears and talks to them in Exodus chapter 20, gives them the Ten Commandments, and gives them social commandments, and here's how you're going to act, here's how you're not going to act. Essentially it was, here's what all the other nations do, you're not going to be that way. You're going to live differently. And if you live differently, if you do these social things, I will be your God, you will be my people, and I will get you into the land of Canaan, and you're going to inherit it. And the people said, yes, let this be. And God said, okay. Moses come up on the Mount, onto Mount Sinai and I'm going to give you more instructions. I'm going to give you instructions on the tabernacle, the tent for worship. I'm going to give you instructions on what the priest should wear, on all these different things. And so Moses makes his way up onto the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. And he leaves Aaron, his brother and high priest, in charge. Here's the issue. Neither Moses nor God told the people, how long he was going to be up there. And this is the setting for Exodus chapter 32. Here we go, Exodus 32 verse 1. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing, and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they had handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, Tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day, the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterward, the, afterward, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. All right. It's easy to look at this section of Scripture. It's, I do it every single time and I, I shake my head and I say, are, are you kidding me, Israelites? Look at everything you just witnessed in the past month and you're going to go and worship an idol. But again, think about this. Moses goes up on the mountain. No ETA on when he's coming back down. And so as day five rolls around, no word from Moses, people start wondering. Day 10, and a small group of Israelites start thinking, you know what? This Moses guy's probably dead. All of this has been a sham. Let's go back to the gods we know. And what's the gods? What are the gods that we know? The Egyptian gods, and they start press, pressing the people. Day 15 rolls around. This Moses guy's dead. There's no way he can last up there this whole time. Let's. We need a god that we can worship, and they start pressing and pressing until finally, the Israelites all come to Aaron and say, "Aaron, make us gods that we can worship," and the pressure's on Aaron. What's he going to do? Is he going to stand firm on God's word and say, No, the God of this world is a God that we worship? Or is he going to give in to the fear and the pressure of the people? This is Satan's lure that he throws out for Aaron. Make us gods. And he's got a decision to make. It seems Aaron tries to go right in the middle. He doesn't say no, but he he doesn't necessarily want to say yes either. Commentators believe that Aaron's trying to be clever here. Because what he asks for is the jewelry from the people. And that for a Jewish person at this time, it was the most important thing for the beauty of people to have jewelry on. Ladies, it would be like me saying, we're going to make a god up here and I need all of your makeup and you can no longer wear makeup because all of it comes to me. That's what this would be like. And, and Aaron's, commentators say, Aaron's thinking, they're going to say, no, we can't do that. Are you crazy? But it backfires and they say, yeah, have it all. And they give all their gold jewelry to Aaron. And so Aaron has no, oh, well, I guess he still has a choice. He's got a choice whether he wants to continue going with it or give in to the fear of the people. And he gave in and he makes this idol. And after he sees what the people, uh, what they do with it, he has a change of mind. All of a sudden, he, he builds an altar. Look what he does. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of, the, uh, of calf and say, tomorrow we're going to have a festival to the Lord. I've made a mistake. This calf, here's the altar. We're going to offer it to the Lord. And they get up the next morning. They offer burnt sacrifices and fellowship offerings. And then they go on to eat, drink, and indulge in revelry, which is how you worship the calf. They appeased Aaron, but continued to worship the golden calf." It was a familiar god because the Egyptians had several gods, one of them being Apis, which was a bull calf that they worshipped by eating around it, drinking around it, and indulging in revelry around it. Aaron gave in to the fear of the people. There's a story of uh, an elderly man and a young boy who were traveling with a donkey. And uh, as their journey started, uh, the elderly man walked in front guiding the donkey while the, son was in the, back, or the young boy was in the back. And as they got to the first town, the townspeople started ridiculing the old man. What, are you crazy? You've got a donkey. Why aren't you riding the donkey? Come on. Are you really uh, not that smart? And so, because he didn't want the people to make fun of him anymore, he got up on the donkey while the boy walked beside him. They got to village number two. And the people of that village began to say, You're a cruel man. Don't you have a heart? How could you make that young boy walk? And so the the old guy didn't want to be made fun of anymore, didn't want to upset the people, so he got off the horse, put the young boy on it. They got to uh, town number three, and those townspeople began ridiculing the boy. You're lazy. Don't you have respect for your elders? How could you be riding that donkey while uh, the elderly man is walking beside you? Why don't you both ride it? So they both got on the donkey because they didn't want the people upset. They got to village number four, and guess what those people said? Don't you have a heart? Animals have feelings too. You're hurting the donkey. And so the elderly man and the young boy got off, picked up the donkey, and carried him the rest of the way. (laughs) Why did that guy and the young boy do all those things? Peer pressure, right? The fear of people and their opinions made them do all these crazy things. That's what happens to Aaron here. Aaron, we want God's. Make them for us. And the pressure of the people gets them to give in because he didn't want to look weird, because he didn't want to be the wet blanket, because he didn't want to be the one to say, no, here's what God's Word says. Peer pressure, and this is your first point today, peer pressure lures us to live for the praise of people instead of glorifying God. Peer pressure lures us to live for the praise of people instead of glorifying God. And we know what this is like. It doesn't matter what age you are, you know what peer pressure is. For instance, we know that the Bible says there are two genders, male and female. You are a male if you are born a male. You are a female if you're born a female. And yet, what's our world want to tell us? There are many genders. And it's about how you feel, not necessarily how you were born. And we don't want to be the weirdos. And if you disagree with them, if you disagree with people, how do they make you feel? Less intelligent, ignorant, unloving, And so we have a decision to make. Do we stand firm on God's Word and say, no, here's what the Bible says? Or do we say, you know what, I'm kind of old school, I'm a a traditionalist, but if you want to feel that way, well, then you can feel that way. Satan throws that lure out there. We know that we should save ourselves for marriage, and yet, have you ever seen somebody's look on their face when you tell them that? Have you seen the confused look, the shocked look, the pity look? We don't want to necessarily have that, so maybe we should experiment a little bit and get up with the times. We know that we shouldn't let somebody cheat off of our homework, and yet our friend wants us to let let them cheat. We know it's against God's Word, but we don't want to be a bad friend, we don't want to lose them as a friend, and so... I guess just this one time would be okay. We know that we really shouldn't talk poorly about other people. Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Love those who are different than you. But do you know how awkward it's going to be if I just get up and leave this conversation right now? Do Do you know how awkward it would be if I actually said, hey, you know what? This is wrong. We shouldn't be talking about this person like that. Do you know how they're going to look at me? And so I better, it'd be easier if I just go along with it. Why are churches and pastors not standing firm on God's Word? Because of peer pressure. Because we're afraid, people are afraid of people, and they're more afraid of that than glorifying God. They want praise from people more than they want to glorify God. Why is this a big deal? This is a big deal because guess what we just did? When we give in to the fear of people instead of glorifying God, we have just replaced God as the number one. We have now made our own golden calf. It's just not an idol that we bow down and worship to like the Israelites. Instead, we've made people our God. We may look at the Israelites and and say, how could you ever bow down to a a gold statue? But I wonder if they would look at us and say, how in the world could you care about people's opinions so much that you let their opinion go above glorifying God? This is what Aaron is really guilty of. He's looking for the praise of people instead of glorifying God. How do you think God feels about that? We get a little insight, because as this is going around at the base of the mountain, here's a conversation taking place on the mountain between God and Moses. Then the Lord said to Moses, "'Go down, because your people, whom you brought up out of Egypt, have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them, and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf.' They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. Notice God's change in those pronouns It's no longer God saying, these are my people whom I brought out of Egypt. It's now, Moses, these are your people whom you brought out of Egypt. God doesn't even want to claim them anymore. And then he says, these are stiff-necked people. They are stubborn. Now leave me, Moses, and let my anger burn against them so that I can bring disaster, or so that I can uh, burn against them and that I may destroy them. How does God feel about not being the number one in your life? Not good. Not good. The Bible says God is a jealous God. Just like a husband is jealous for his wife and a wife is jealous for her husband, God is jealous for you. He wants to be your God and He wants you to be His people. And He doesn't want anyone else to be your God. And He's a jealous God. And when we look for love and acceptance from other people instead of God, this is how He feels. When we look for the respect of others instead of respect from God, this is how He feels. When we're more concerned about our spot with people than our home in heaven, this is how God feels. Leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them because they have idols and their idols are people. So why didn't God destroy them? Here's why. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. "'Lord,' he said, "'why should your anger burn against your people, "'whom you you brought out of Egypt "'with great power and a mighty hand? "'Why should the Egyptians say "'it was with evil intent that he brought them out, "'to kill them in the mountains "'and to wipe them off the face of the earth? "'Turn from your fierce anger. "'Relent and do not bring disaster on your people.' Remember your servants Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all this land I promised them, and it will be their inheritance forever. Then the Lord relented and did not bring on His people the disaster He had threatened. Why didn't He bring the disaster? Because Moses stands in the breach. He stands in that chasm between God and and the people and says, God! Don't do this. But notice his reasoning. He doesn't say, God, yes, they're stiff-necked people, but they have some redeeming qualities. God, yes, they're stubborn. Yes, they did this, but look at what the people have done for you. No. Moses points to God for the reason that God should forgive them. God, think about this. Your name is going to be blasphemed among the Egyptians. They're going to think you're an evil God for bringing the people out just to kill them here. You don't want your name to be uh, dragged across the dirt. And then he says, God, remember the promise you made. You're a promise keeper, not a breaker. You made a promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You promised that they would inherit the uh, the, the land of Canaan. Remember that promise, God. Remember who you are. Yes, they sin. Yes, they're stiff-necked people. but remember who you are. You're a promise keeper. And God relented. God relented. Why aren't we destroyed by God? Because we have a mediator who's even greater than Moses. First Timothy says that we have there's one mediator between God and mankind. it's the man. Christ Jesus. Jesus stands between you and God the Father and what's He say? Father, forgive them. Father, remember Your name is on these people. Remember in their baptism, You put Your name on them. Father, forgive them because My blood has covered their sins. Father, forgive them because You promise that anyone who believes in Me has eternal life, that that you have recovered them, you forgive them. Remember your promises. Remember who you are, God. And God forgives our sins. Jesus sits next to God the Father and He continues to say, Remember, you sent Me, your one and only Son, in their place. Remember that I never went for the praise of people but always lived to glorify you. Remember, they pressured me to be king, and I walked away. Remember that on trial, they pressured me to say that I wasn't the Messiah, but I continued to say that I was the Messiah over and over again. Why? Because it brought you glory, Father. Because I wasn't going to give in to the praise of people, but I lived to bring you glory. And to bring you glory, it was to stand on your word, and I did it perfectly. And my record I give to them. They are perfect at keeping this first commandment. And remember, Father, that <clears throat> they led me to the cross where, where nails were put through my hands and my feet and You forsook me on the cross where my blood was shed and that was all for them. Remember, You promised that they get credit for everything I did. That's Your promise. Keep it. And God says, Yes forgiven. But God just does, doesn't just relent. Guess how He views you now because of Jesus. He loves you and accepts you through Jesus. He delights over you. He has a place waiting for you in His eternal kingdom all because of your Savior Jesus. This is a God that we serve. A God who willingly gave up His one and only Son for you and me so that we have His love, His acceptance, so that He delights over us and our home is waiting for us in heaven. This is why we want to live for Him and not for the praise of people because His opinion of us never changes. And so your last point today is this. Instead of living for the praise of many, live for the audience of one. Sarah stood there with her friend extending her that joint. And she said, no thanks. And she went home. It wasn't easy. She lost her group of friends, which made this transition into a new city and a new school even harder. uh, Because that group of friends then went and told everyone how she was a goody-goody and uh, trashed her name. But she was at peace. Why? Because she knew that the God of this world loved her and accepted her. Because she knew that the God of this world took delight in her. And she was at peace. How do we swim away from this lure of peer pressure? We recognize that we don't need people's love and acceptance, we need God's love and acceptance, and that's what we have through Jesus. We recognize that, yes, our reputation may be thrown away by people, but God t- takes delight over us. We recognize that we may lose our spot in the group, but we have a forever home with a group of thousands and millions and millions of people ready to worship our Savior in heaven forever. That's the God we want to live for. That's the one we want to live our life for. May God be with you this week that your thoughts, your words, your actions may glorify the one and only uh, one in our life, our Savior God. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we praise and thank you that you always live for the glory of God and that you give us your perfect record so that our record looks as one who has lived for our Father every day of our life. Help us this week to glorify God In everything that we do, help us to live for Him, our audience of one. That is who we are living for, our Father and our God in heaven. We ask you to be with us this week. Forgive us for the times that we do fall and give us the strength. Send your Holy Spirit to strengthen our faith, to strengthen our will, uh, that we may live for you. In your name we pray. Amen.